Welcome to Yours, Mine, and Ours. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona. I'm a relationship coach specializing in communication and conflict resolution. I've been in practice for 16 years, and over the years, I've seen a repetitive theme in the society of modern-day United States. I won't even call it culture. Feminism is the backbone of what females consider success. But as a relationship coach, I teach people that relationships are the backbone of society. So the only way a society can be truly successful is when the relationships of the people in that society are strong and healthy first. When the people are apart from each other, they need to have a positive attitude and a proactive approach to not only what they say and do, but how they think and feel when they're alone and when they're together. So today my show is going to be about something that I feel very passionately, personally passionate about. It came up in a discussion on a social website this week among professional women, the fallacy of feminism. I believe that men are not the enemy, but feminism really does propel that philosophy. Now, all of my listeners are welcome to call in and ask questions at any time, but today I'm going to be talking about many different topics as ideas of this general subject, and I'm going to be going through them pretty quickly. So the number to call the station if you have a question or a comment is 888-627-6008. Okay, so starting off, when I was a young girl, I was told very early on by many sources of society and by that I include media as well as my personal social groups, be the first female president or own a Fortune 500 company. If you're a stay-at-home mother, you're a failure, and you should pretty much be ashamed of yourself because only women who can't do something better have to settle for that, being reduced to a humiliating lifestyle of slavery and ungrateful abuse of men. Those were the messages that I was bombarded with all through my childhood. I belonged to the Generation X group because I was born in 1976. My mother was a baby boomer, and my father was of the silent generation. He was considerably older than my mother. I was kind of lost in the shuffle because divorce was becoming more and more common and Single parents were more and more accepted as a lifestyle. The barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen stereotype was frowned on, and I was always told that if I wanted to be happy and fulfilled, I needed to make my mark on the world in a high-impact way. That meant monetarily or politically, secularly, people needed to know who I was as a woman. On LinkedIn this week, I was engaged in the discussion of a post. Literally, this was the, the quote, It's time to stop over-apologizing. It takes years as a woman to unlearn what you have been taught to be sorry about. That was a quote from Amy Poehler. Okay, so I thought about that. It's time to stop over-apologizing. Hmm. Unlearn what you've been taught to be sorry about. I couldn't really relate to that, <laughs> so my immediate response was, actually, as an American Generation Xer, born in 1976, so I'm only speaking for myself here, 
I was raised to be sorry for nothing. Narcissism and greed were the foundation of the feminism that I was bombarded with in my daily life. That was different from the feminism that the generations before me had actually started. Feminism started more than 100 years before that. From everyone in the media, magazines and newspapers, on the television and radio that were always on in public places, I was the original me first generation. It was about my rights. I was not taught unselfish love. I was not guided in willing generosity. Not humble appreciation, not genuine remorse when I did say sorry because I was never told to say sorry, really, in the first place. And I think that learning how to be truly sorry from the heart is a very important life skill to master. You can absolutely be completely honest while still being respectfully considerate. You need to value the feelings of others. And that does not, by definition, nullify your feelings ever. I said, I don't know what you're apologizing for, that you think you're going to stop the female lead, but maybe it's not what you think. Could you be more specific, please, in what you think we need to stop apologizing for? Okay, that was my response. It was kind of a long response. And some people started commenting and sort of not really responding to what I was saying, but then... A couple people made some comments that made me think about, whoa, I just realized something. So I put it in another box. I said, I guess my problem with this post is that it implies that men don't experience this just as often as women. And it's saying that women should stop apologizing to men, but not necessarily to women. They shouldn't stop apologizing to women, right? Well, maybe hmm. there's an incredibly large group of men who are abused by dominant, arrogant women in this country. That's becoming a growing group. But the difference is men quickly walk away just so they don't have to deal with those women. I think that feminism in the United States has made men afraid of women and they've lost their ability to lay down their own personal boundaries with women because they're afraid of being accused of things that they are not guilty of doing. Men apologize to women a lot more often than they should, and women in this day and age are scary for the simple reason that they're aggressive and confrontational, both with men and with women. There's a reason why I love a post of an esteemed male colleague. He said, arguing with a woman is like reading the software license agreement. In the end, you ignore everything and just click, I agree. Unfortunately, it's a lot more true than it should be. So let's take a look at actual feminism, the feminism concept over the years. I Googled it and I went on to um, the History Channel. And so I watched a, a very brief video, but I transcribed it. So just know that this is not plagiarism. I'm giving all the credit to the historychannel.com and the, the video that I watched. It was entitled The First Wave of Feminism. Let's look at really what that, that movement was about. Okay, so it started out in 1848 at the Seneca Falls Convention, the very first women's rights convention in the United States, kicking off decades-long struggles for gender equality, started with a tea party. Understand the traditional 19th century gender roles. Men dominated the public sphere by working and voting and participating in politics while women stayed home to cook and clean and raise children. 
There were restrictions in many states on women voting and owning property and having control over their own income. But one woman, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, was a homemaker in Seneca Falls, New York. Stanton was born into a progressive family and was highly educated. She enjoyed an active social and political life before she settled down to raise a family. But Stanton felt stifled as a wife and mother to seven children. She longed for a life outside of her home. So she founded a local group of women who embraced equality and community and activism. They invited her to a small social gathering, a tea party, which included a Quaker activist named Lucretia Mott. Mott and Stanton knew each other from before they had actually met years before at an anti-slavery convention in London. They were just denied entry at that convention because they were women. <laughs> it was during the tea party that Stanton lamented her injustice, the injustice of a woman's unequal status in society. Her words resonated with the other women, so they decided to hold a gathering that would call attention to the social and civil and religious rights of women. The first of its kind in the United States, it was known as the Seneca Falls Convention. It took place on July 19th and 20th, 1848. There were over 300 people in attendance. Like Stanton and Mott, many of the people in attendance were actively involved in the anti-slavery movement, including Frederick Douglass, a former slave and abolitionist. He was one of the few men and the only African-American to attend the convention. At the convention, they read the Declaration of Sentiments. It was drafted by Stanton and modeled after the Declaration of Independence, declaring, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. The sentiments outlined the civil and political rights denied to American women. That included education, property ownership, child custody in the event of a divorce, and most importantly to people at that time, the right to vote. On the second day of the convention, 12 resolutions were passed and signed by 68 women and 32 men. The Seneca Falls Convention was the first time that American women demanded a change, and it caused quite a stir around the country. But newspapers mocked them with unflattering political cartoons, while columns ridiculed the political convention as dull and uninteresting or even ludicrous or insane. One writer declared equal rights for women to be a monstrous injury to all mankind. The wave of negative press was just too humiliating for some of the participants to handle, particularly the ones who had signed the Declaration of Sentiments. Several of them went as far as not only withdrawing their names from the document, but they joined the opposing party. Well, that didn't stop the movement, and the impact of the Seneca Falls Convention was undeniable. Women like Stanton felt a renewed sense of purpose. They threw themselves headlong into the fight for equal rights. A month later, a second larger convention was held in Rochester. The Declaration of Sentiments gained 107 additional signatures. The Seneca Falls Convention did signal the worth of women's rights. One particular resolution in the Declaration evolved into a full-fledged crusade, the demand for women's suffrage. Decades of political organizing, of marches and protests would ultimately result in the 1920 passage of the 19th Amendment. This guaranteed women the right to vote, which could not have happened without the Seneca Falls Convention. 
Over the years, things like Roe versus Wade inspired men to make another kind of social statement. Well, no, 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 because women were making a social statement. You can't control my body. Well, the only problem with that was it wasn't just a woman's body. It was also a baby's body that was in question and being affected by this decision of an abortion. But then that begs the next question, what rights do, a, do fathers have? Okay, well, instead of working together, politics exacerbated an already volatile social setting. Then sexual harassment came around. The passage of Title VII in 1964 prohibited sexual discrimination in the workplace. Cornell University activists coined the term sexual harassment in 1975, and this pervasive problem was finally given a name. Public awareness of that issue has been, excuse me, has been rising since then. In 1971, a law professor, Anita Hill, alleged that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas had sexually harassed her when they worked together. And although the state confirmed Thomas's nomination, Hill's actions encouraged women to speak out. Now, that's the background of what's important in women's lives. It's to have the recognition and the value that men have, the acknowledgement and the importance, as well as the opportunities that men have in society. There's nothing wrong with that. But the fallacy with it, in my mind, is that over the years, it has devolved into something else. It has changed and it has become and manifested different things in different ways that actually have done harm to our society. And I'll tell you, bottom line, what I think, equality is wrong because it's about quantifying the value of something to make sure that it's at a certain amount. That actually detracts from life because there are things in life that cannot be quantified, like appreciation and love pleasure and need they can't be boxed into something like a number or a title so doing something like that actually distracts from what's most important to humans not just the title of a job not just the number of the the income right the numbers on the page at the bottom of your check the feelings that you have all day every day it's important to be appreciated and respected as a person, and that's true of men and women. Women are not any different from men in their need to have the people in their life think of them in a positive way. That was initially what the statement of feminism was making. We want to be thought of and felt about in a good way by the people in our lives. Everyone, male and female, need and deserve to have that kind of importance in the hearts and minds of the people in their lives. We both need that with and for and from each other in order to peacefully coexist. But the problems that existed back then don't exist now in the same way and on the same level. The argument over sexual harassment has become a power struggle in a political context, and it's been a byproduct of women simply wanting better treatment there's nothing wrong with wanting to be appreciated or treated well, but demanding it by starting a fight is never going to have a happy ending because even when you win, you still lose. So the way that feminism or gender equality is perceived and presented and propelled has become irrelevant to the original purpose because it's becoming divisive in the way that it is approached and the way that it's executed. 
men and women are now basically enemies from the beginning. They come into a relationship either aggressively or defensively. That does no good to the man or the, the woman. It undermines the harmony and the cooperation between a couple in other settings and coexisting. You know what? It, it's just not really peaceful anymore. Politics is divisive by nature. So anything that people do in a political way is going to be with an approach of we're going to fight, someone's going to win, and someone's going to lose. So let's take politics out of it. Okay, let's just let's just pretend like it's people and there's absolutely no way you can pass a law. It's just about us interacting with each other like humans in a human way on a daily basis, doing regular activities together. Accomplishment and success are not the same. That's the very important thing that I always tell people. A lot of the secular approach to society and function in a group of people when we're talking about accomplishing something, reaching a goal, when you have done something impressive, you have had success, that's impressive. Well, you know what? When we're talking about people, the fact is personal success is about our fulfillment as humans. It's not just what you do. It's how you feel about what you've done. Humans are made of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual elements. There are factors of all four involved in everything we do. Well, you know what? When we're talking about your mental and emotional and spiritual state, your thoughts and feelings, how important is it for you to be truly happy no matter what's going on around you? Is what's happening in your life, your monetary accomplishments, your secular success, if that's not going to create emotional and mental and spiritual peace and harmony inside of you, then maybe there's something more important that you need to be focused on. Another reason why I think feminism is not good for society in general is because it now generalizes all men as sexists. They're not. The fact is, it was to make a statement of women are just as important as men and women have the same rights as men. Well, if you were to randomly pull a thousand men off the street and just ask them, what do you personally think of women? It, men like women and they don't think that women are an inferior creation. They don't think they have less value. They don't think they have a lower priority. The whole point was to make women's place in society better. Unfortunately, now it's portraying men in general as bad. The fact is, men love women a lot. And when they fall in love, their hearts are just as moved and their loyalty is just as strong as any woman's. They actually enjoy women. And when a woman is in a good mood, we're beautiful and fun and smart and interesting. Men really do like women. They have much more to offer a man than other men. Men can only be good for a few things as friends, but the real things in life that life is really about are activities that involve the participation of women because we can create experiences for men that reach a very different level. They appreciate women because women are able to be and do things that they don't and aren't. The fact is women do those things extremely well and men appreciate that too. 
Um, they don't oftentimes appreciate those things unless they're drawn to the man's attention. You know, I actually had to move out for a while and let my husband do everything and the wife, <laughs> my domestic engineering, all the little things, the mundane tasks. Yeah, okay. He, he did actually have to experience it in order to understand it and appreciate it, but it, it happened. Men need women. There are things that a woman can provide that a man just can't. Okay, so men have feelings too especially when it comes to women. A woman's happiness is like a drug for a man. Her misery is debilitating to him. I don't know how many women know that. They haven't really been told that. But men have needs and thoughts as well. They have a life with interests. They have distinct qualities and personalities. Men are just as important as women. And it's time for women to appreciate a man's vulnerability in a masculine context, not a feminine one. Well, what's the definition of vulnerable? Susceptible to attack or harm. Men are just as vulnerable to women as women are to men because of their intense feelings for women. The sexual revolution had to get people to turn off all of their feelings and just become completely narcissistic and superficial. But the fact is, men really do care about women's feelings. Okay, well, let's talk about things like holding the door open. That, that's almost offensive. When a man holds a door open, he's not insulting her or implying that she can't open a door. He really does genuinely want to be nice. Well, how many men don't do that anymore just because they don't want to have to deal with a fight, a potential fight that could come about as a result of that? Which brings me to my next point. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Women have more power over men than men have over women. Not politically, not monetarily, not socially, in real life. We have power over men for one reason, sex. Men only have enough blood for one head at a time. The bottom line, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Every man's weakest link is women especially a woman that they love. Women have an infinite ability and a constant opportunity and a, a power to do damage to a man. If we really want to, we can get to a place in a man's head and in his heart and in his body because sex is very, very fundamental. It's very primal. It's very basic. And it's very huge for a man to think and feel these things. Women, we need to use our power in a good way. Sex is very much a weapon. Women know that men can be very easily manipulated with that. But what about <clears throat> sexual harassment? Can a man be sexually harassed? Well, that's a whole other show. But men can be very afraid of women because, again, when you get into a power struggle, the people don't exist anymore. It's all about the fight. Let's stop fighting. Okay. One of, my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Delilah, Samson and Delilah. You know what? Definitely, definitely a powerful situation and a meaningful story because the influence a woman can have over a man can be very big, large scale, and very long term. It comes down to this basic principle. We are not equal. We will never be equal. 
we can be just as important as the other gender, but we're never going to be truly equal simply because we are too different. We cannot be compared to each other. So when feminism tries to perpetuate the philosophy of we're equal to each other, all that's going to do is create more frustration because equality is about value. You cannot quantify the value of people or relationships. It's a conundrum of monetary value in relationships. No, just on the job. Well, but on the job, you're in a relationship because you communicate and you interact with each other. Value in relationships about feelings. There's no accounting for taste. Feelings cannot be denied. What we offer each other is completely different. Men and women bring very different things to a relationship. In ways, in substance, and in purpose, men want to be needed. Women need to be wanted. That's totally opposite. Men want to be needed. If they actually needed a woman, there would be something very wrong. Men want a woman to need them. And women need to be wanted. If a man doesn't genuinely want her, she's devastated. He may need a hundred things from her, but if he doesn't truly want her, it breaks her heart. Men aren't that way. I've noticed lately a very popular trend in the United States. People apologize in a backhanded way like, I'm sorry you have a problem. I'm sorry you can't handle the truth. I'm sorry you're too stupid to know the difference. I'm sorry you're so pathetic. When you apologize, you're actually addressing two different issues. First, you're acknowledging that what you've said or done is wrong, so you regret doing it, but you're also recognizing that what you've said or done has hurt someone else. Their feelings are actually a totally separate subject. So what if you only regret one of those things? What if you regret what you've done because you know it was the wrong thing to do, but you really don't care? about the feelings of the other person. Because maybe you think that a certain individual deserves to suffer. Or what if you don't really think that what you did was wrong, but you genuinely do care about someone else's pain? Is there any way to address and acknowledge one without necessarily including the other one? Well, when I got married and I realized men and women were very different and that men a lot of times just to make women go away would apologize for things that they're not really sorry for, Okay, I just didn't want to have to deal with an upset wife. I decided that I'd give my husband a marital get-out-of-jail-free card. It was a four-word phrase. I'm sorry once removed. Translation, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. That was my way of letting him say, I genuinely do care about your suffering because I love you, but we're just going to have to disagree about this because I don't think that what I did was wrong. That helped us to maintain honesty with each other as well as encouraging forgiveness and tolerance and telling people to stop thinking so much of themselves. That brings me to my next point, what feminism has done to society that's corrosive to relationships. It's reduced, again, things to the number of 50-50. Okay, now, conceptually, the idea of, you know what? We're, we're going to go 50-50 in this relationship. We're both going to give as much as the other one gives. Okay. Conceptually, that's fine, but I'll tell you why that's never going to make a good relationship. I recently spoke to a colleague about finding a woman. 
He's from Iran and is overwhelmed at how the dating scene has changed so much because women are becoming more aggressive and confrontational over on the other side of the world. But I made sure to get it back down to how he could become a better man in order to make a better relationship. I asked him a very simple question, easy to understand. Well, but not an easy one to answer, apparently. I said, how much do you think you should give in a relationship? How much should the woman that you're with give? His almost immediate stock answer, 50-50. I immediately responded, wrong. As long as you think that way, you're never going to be happy. Because even if you find the perfect woman, that belief is going to undermine your success and sabotage your happiness. You need to be willing to give 75% of the time and only proactively take 25% of the time. That's the only way you'll actually end up giving 50% because you are going to default 25% of the time. You're just going to fail. So your willingness to have that modus operandi of giving three times more than you take, that will keep your mindset humble. It will keep your overall perspective more generous. It will sustain the happiness that you feel for the woman that you love, even through the bad times, just as much as good. you're not ready for a relationship. Wow, that, that really blew him away. <laughs> but he knew to a degree that it was true because the fact is we are all selfish creatures by nature, men and women. The only way any relationship can work is with the approach of 75-25. When we are all prepared to give three times more than what we take, we will by default fail into 50%. When we have an attitude of, I care more about you than I do about me, we'll have the motivation to be genuinely unselfish. The very powerful motivations that are constantly on inside of humans are all egocentric. There are four of them. Our wants, our needs, our thoughts, and our feelings. The key is to be able to prioritize our thoughts, our feelings, our wants, and our needs, but also those four things, those four elements of others. Everything we do automatically is just about us. The key is learning how to be aware of those things about others because that will help us to become more humble and willing in our thoughts and our attitude to work with people and to give to them. We have to overshoot just so that we can fail into success. Feminism has a philosophy of, I deserve to be given as much as I give. And it's an unfortunate and very harmful approach to human interaction. It's basically an indirect way of saying, I'm not going to give anything to you until you give to me first. Or I'll only give you as much as you give me. That is a negative attitude. All right, so let's just be honest with each other, ladies. You can't have it both ways. These are the things about feminism that probably upset me the most. You want to be thought of as a woman, but treated like a man. Okay, what well, feminism, especially when it went overboard with the sexual harassment uh, movement, distorted what women want men not only to think and feel, but to say and do. Do you want a man to hold the door open for, are you, for you, or are you offended by it? Do you want him to tell you the truth if he thinks you look fat? or you don't look good, or, or are you just fishing for a compliment? Do you want to be part 
of the marriage? Do you want a man to be part of your child's life if he's the father? Do you have the right to tell a man he doesn't have the right to participate in in the decision to make an abortion? Or do you want to be thought of as a man, but you just want to be treated like a woman? Okay, you want to be thought of as equal to a man, but you want to be treated like a woman because you're a woman. Hello, okay. Do you still think you're different and special and you want to be acknowledged for all of the beautiful and amazing and wonderful things that a woman is? Or is that not respect? Isn't it because I'm not equal? Do you, you know what? When a man interacts with you, do you want personal consideration as an individual? Do you want to be appreciated for the special and important person that you are? Or do you want him to treat you the way he would treat another man? Because in general, men don't want that from other men. It's just not in their nature to think of other men in that way. And men know that. And they're fine with that. Men can't win with women because every woman is so different. And some care that men are constantly being told different things, but then they're also respect, expected to respond to those things. At times, they're expected to even know what things women want and think and need and feel without having to be told those things. <sighs> All women want different things. Feminism has made them more cocky about their attitude about getting what they want. Instead of being negotiable and willing to compromise, they're less likely to give in. Beautiful example of that. A great example of that. I'm gorgeous, but I don't care what you think to a man. Okay, well, she's saying to herself that she's beautiful. She's attractive. She loves how she looks, but she doesn't care what men think. Of course she does. That's part of why she's getting all dressed up. When she's debating these different ideas, these different concepts, she's actually conflicting inside of herself. That's not good for her, and it's certainly not good for the man. Okay, pretty woman. Is it a whore's fault that she's a whore or is it her choice? Should she be judged by a man for a decision that she makes, like being a prostitute? Is it a woman's right to judge another woman, but not a man's? How about a beauty pageant? Is it degrading to women or is it their right to do that? Okay. How about uh, sex without love? You know, men did it all the time. Now women are going to be doing it too. A man can sleep around and use women, well, you know what? As a woman, I can sleep around and I can use men. Love without commitment, commitment without marriage, all of the things about me first, you know what? They're never going to create true inner fulfillment. Even when you win, you still lose. And the biggest thing, again, is the attitude of, I don't care because I don't need you. But that's not true. We all need each other, and we all care very much about what people think. Men do care very much about women. And women care just as much about men. So this perpetual philosophy of I don't need you doesn't do anybody any good. Next thing I really like to talk about is society needs both genders. The fact is men are wired very differently than women. <laughs> okay, one of my, my best, my favorite things um, to explain to people is the synapses in the brain. The fact is our brain, it's a very, very busy computer. Got a lot of electric activity going on. Okay, the synapses are going in different parts of the brain because we perform different activities. Best thing about men is they have the synapses, they have the energy going on in one specific part of the brain. So when they're doing a single task, they're amazing in their way to perform it. 
can almost always outperform a female in a single activity. Women, not only do we have the synapses crossing over hemispheres, right, going from one side of the brain to the other, but going to different parts of each hemisphere. So the more things we do, we actually become more efficient and more successful and more fulfilled because we can do several things at once and do them all in a very impressive way. Now, which one's better? One isn't better than the other. They're both absolutely vital to the success of society because there are things that need to be done as a single solitary task in a very, very, very good way. They have to be performed up to a certain level. And then there are a lot of little things seem to be tedious and menial, you know, but they're pretty important because the big things aren't going to get done if all the little things around aren't being taken care of. There's no point in trying to prove that we don't need each other because if all you're saying to the other person is, I don't need you, then you're, you're throwing them away, you're pushing them away, you're rejecting them. You know what? Then even when you win, you still lose. Feminism made women think that staying at home means that you failed as a woman. Going to college was forced on money, girls. The episode of Roseanne where she pushes Darlene to go to college because she feels like she has failed as a mother, so she's compensating for what she doesn't like about herself by forcing her daughter to do something that her daughter didn't want to do. When a girl feels pressured by her female peers to prove herself, she's just as unhappy as when she feels trapped at home. How many of the machines in our life were, were created to do things that a woman ordinarily does at home just because the women aren't home to do those things and they don't have the time to do those things? So let's create devices and machines and, and different techniques to take all of the work out of it because there's no one around to do them. Well, you know what? It's not going to make society any better because we still feel fulfilled when we do work. And we do still feel satisfied when we've accomplished something. Now, thinking about all of the things that I love about being a woman. I'm 44 years old, and one of the, my favorite chapters in the Bible is Proverbs chapter 31. It goes on and on about all of the amazing things that women are fabulous at doing and being. Keeping in mind how women have the ability to do so many different things simultaneously, and when we do things, we do them very, very well, keep in mind that a lot of people think that the Bible is antiquated and it's not really um, practical for the world that we live in. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read over some of the things that I like about a successful wife, a very impressive woman. She uses fine, high-quality materials in the things that she makes. To me, that means she's got good judgment and she knows how to make a good choice when she's selecting. She's resourceful and creative, able to obtain rare things from far away. That requires a lot of creativity and problem-solving. How to obtain things that are hard to, to get a hold of, well, you have to be smart. Then she tends to the needs of people in her household, whatever those needs are, because she's aware of those things at all times. That means she's sensitive and intuitive. One of the things it also says is she buys an entire field and knows how to work the land, planting the things that grow and cultivating them. Well, if she buys an entire field, that means she knows how to manage money. 
and she knows how to work the land, that means she knows manual labor and she has endurance and she has strength. She's physically strong because she has not only the skills and ability, but also the endurance with manual labor. Then another thing is she's very talented at accomplishing things that demand attention to detail. That's actually one of the verses. Okay, well, great attention to detail. How many things in life demand focus on three, four, five, maybe six details at a time? Different details of the same thing. Well, sometimes it's a different thing related to what you're doing, but there's still a lot of details. If you miss out on even one of them, you're going to fail. Another great thing about her, it says she's sensitive and abundant in her generosity, like she could give infinitely and never run out of whatever the supply of whatever it is she's giving out, which means again that, next verse, she's resourceful in her ability to continually obtain what she and everyone in her household need. So she's not stressed out or worried. There's actually a verse that says she doesn't get stressed out. She doesn't worry about the future because she's got it covered. She knows without a doubt that what she's doing is not only successfully managing what the people need now, she's always planning for the future. Another verse says, her bed covers are warm and soft, and she made them with her own hands. Now, this is one I really like. Her husband has a good reputation, but as a direct result of the honor and glory that she brings him with her behavior and speech. Now, I'll tell you why I love this one, because when a woman says or does something impressive when she is something impressive it reflects really well on god a lot of men will go up to a man and say wow you have an amazing woman yeah it feels good when a, a woman knows that people think that about her and it makes a man feel really good when someone says it to him she knows how to do business with merchants not only with a good product, but she knows how to negotiate and manage money. A lot of people don't know that the Bible says that a good woman, a good wife, can go toe-to-toe when making a deal with merchants, and she knows how to negotiate and manage money. So even after she has closed the deal, she knows what to do with it in order to perpetuate the, um, the business itself to create further profit. When she speaks, she balances insightful wisdom and thoughtful consideration so that what she says impresses everyone listening. I really like that one because it means that she doesn't have to say a whole lot. She doesn't have to have a whole lot of attention because the few times that she does say, no, I want to be heard and I will be heard. The quality of what she says is worth listening to. When a woman is not angry, but she's insightful and she's patient, and she's mature and respectful, she can say something, the entire room will turn to look at her. All eyes will be on her. Women are capable of doing all the things that men do, and oftentimes even better than men, (laughs) because multitasking is just something men aren't wired for. One of my favorite quotes is, a man works from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. Okay, yes, I'll acknowledge this. This is my next point. We can be high maintenance, but if you just keep in mind what I said, we're very high yield. Okay, so (laughs) by a man's definition, we are emotionally and mentally and physically a lot more work to sustain than a man. Well, well, yeah, when 
you when you invest your time and energy into us, you're going to get some pretty good results like the ones I've just listed. Becoming a very high quality soul as a woman means that we don't have to be high quantity in yield and productivity. It means that what we do is high quality. So we can do fewer things because the things that we're doing are better overall. Now, you know what? Let me ask you this. How often are men just fine giving women what they need in the way of space or time or opportunity to take care of themselves? How often are men just fine being the ones to give the women what they want as long as they know what in the world that woman wants and what they need? The minute that you tell a man exactly what you want, how you want it, when you want it, why you want it, just give him all the details, they're almost immediately motivated just to do it exactly the way you ask because they get excited at the idea of taking care of a woman. Men love to be good to a woman. Men are simple and basic. Survival for them is about food and safety and sex. Those are the things that they provide in life, that they experience in life. Those are the important things because without those things, we would die. Everything else in life involved in daily living is pretty much a woman's responsibility or focus or problem. Do you know what? If a woman's not around, a man can do all those things. He's just not going to want to do it all day every day. That's okay because we're really good at taking care of that stuff. Men are low yield. They're low maintenance. They have very few needs. And they're fine asking for what exactly what they want or going to get it for themselves because they are so simple. Men actually think that's not about narcissism. Men need to be confident in order to be aggressive in the world. That's part of their job description. Their simple mindset really does reduce their preoccupation with excessive amounts of other things outside of themselves. It doesn't mean that they're harmful to others because they're aggressive or that they have a lot of self-esteem. It means that they're confident enough to be successful. If a man has an ego problem, it's very clear and it's very unattractive. Those men are the exception, not the rule of the general male population. They're not the kind of people that attract high quality women. That means be a high quality woman And those men will never be a problem for you. This just means that regular men need to be told in simple terms what a woman wants and needs. And that's fair. They don't take it personally when they have to admit that they don't know. When it comes to women, they have no problem openly admitting that they need you to tell them and explain to them why you're asking for what you're asking for. That's helpful because they they genuinely do care and that makes them more willing and more excited to do things to make you happy. The bottom line, we don't have the plight of our feminist predecessors. What women were fighting for 150 years ago is not what's going on anymore. In the beginning was the new age. Men were going to war. They were leaving women to do the job of both men and women. There were men who were uncomfortable being around women all day, every day in the workforce. Women had to deal with ignorant and selfish, immature men who were totally inappropriate in their behavior. That's not the case in the world today. Men in general do not mistreat women. They do not 
personally, in their heart, undervalue women. They don't think that women are worthless, but women today are still fighting with men as if they did. Back in a different time, back in a different setting, with men that had a different attitude. Let's get back to who really are you working with today? Who really is in front of you? Who are you in a relationship with? How much of what women are upset about when it comes to men is really a problem? And how much of it is just because we have been told that men are bad people and that they're selfish and that they don't care about women and that they don't respect women, so we have to fight with them, so we have to prove to them, so we have to demand from them the things that we want and that we need. No. Actually, when we're happy and we're respectful and we're loving and considerate and we're fun, and we can say to a man, look, I have all of these really great qualities. I have all of these things that I want to give to you and I want to share with you. Would you be willing to take good care of me? Men would immediately say, absolutely, stay in a good mood, get in a good mood, be happy and beautiful and healthy because being around you when you're in a platinum state makes me want to give you everything and be for you everything. I'm totally willing to center my life around you because my love for you is so powerful and it's so strong. Unfortunately, the reason I disagree with feminism is because feminism makes women angry. It actually tells the story. It conveys a thought of, if you don't do what I want, I will make you unhappy. It's not the same thing as, if you do what I want, I will make you happy. I will create goodness and pleasure in your life. I will make things that you experience exponentially better in your life. All I need is for you to give me these things, specific things, in order to put me and keep me in a high-quality state. The real problem here is unhealthy people. They don't appreciate things like a headship arrangement. Headship, as a general principle, hierarchy is a good thing. It establishes organization and promotes cooperation, like in the military. It's important to have protocol, not just because it's about human value, but it's about structure and stability. Organization is respected and things run smoothly when people are willing to cooperate with an arrangement. Which again, brings us back to the attitude of the participants. If a woman and a man have an agreement that the man is the head of the house, they don't, that's fine. And the woman says, I will cooperate with you. I will support you. I will work with you. All I need is for you to give me certain things. When a woman gives a man the things that he needs and wants as a man, she will be very motivational and a lot more effective and a lot more successful in having the things from him that she not only needs, but also wants. And will appreciate. And when a man and a woman are together and they both have good energy and they both have positive thoughts and feelings about each other, they will have happiness and longevity in their relationship. Unhealthy people are the real problem. And that's what's never really addressed 
in political debates and social discussions and philosophical arguments, when someone does not appreciate what's wrong, they tend to focus on a group instead of a single behavior. If people are healthy in general to begin with, then solving a problem doesn't have to mean creating more problems, like feminism did. Society as a whole has a lot of unhealthy beliefs and values that undermine the harmony and success of the people in the society. Let's look at this. Let's fix the actual problem, not what social issues just continue to be perpetuated. We need to start thinking about social interaction as something that's the foundation for all relationships, casual and intimate. Women on the LinkedIn post were angry with me because they were talking about genuinely horrible men when they were going on and on fighting with me. It was about how women shouldn't be sorry. And I said, but what are we talking about? Well, they were abused. They were physically assaulted. They were emotionally manipulated. They were disrespected by the men in their life. And they shouldn't have to uh, uh, apologize to the men who did that. Okay, but that's a small portion of the male population. When this post is saying women should stop apologizing, well, then women who haven't experienced that thing, that that experience, they haven't suffered through that, then they're having the mentality, well, I'm not going to apologize to anybody. Well, you know what? There are times when you need to apologize. You definitely need to be sorry for what you did. So blanket statements like that, that don't really do any good for society because they continue to perpetuate a divisive attitude, really are not going to do anything good for men or women. The social responsibility is to be respectful and considerate, just like men need to be respectful and considerate, women do too. Our social obligation is to be thoughtful and appreciative, just like we want men to be with us, we need to be with them. The social mandate is to be just as willing to work with men as we are eager to work against them. As women, we have the power to get men to do whatever we want. All we have to do is use our power in a positive way, not a harmful way, not a destructive one, not to make a social statement, but to think about the genuine overall good of people, humanity, society, and culture. When we're walking down the street, when we smile at each other, well, no, we can't now because of the coronavirus, but when we say hello and we have a positive tone in our voice, when we make eye contact, we show people that we appreciate them, that's going to be the beginning of a better world. That's the foundation of respected women, strong and healthy and successful dynamics between men and women. And men will definitely like women and appreciate women and respect them and treat them with honor when they behave in a way that's not saying, I don't like you and I don't trust you, and I don't appreciate you, and you have to prove yourself to me before I will give you the consideration and respect that you want from me. Thank you for listening to the show today, and we have a page on the website on BBS Radio for comments. A lot of people have to listen to the archive of this show, so if you go on to bbsradio.com and uh, the page of Yours, Mine, and Ours, 
they're actually redoing the website a little bit. And um, probably in a couple of weeks, that'll all change again, but we'll definitely keep you posted. If you have any thoughts that you want to express or questions that you want to ask, I'll be checking that throughout the week before I go to my next show next week. Um, and if you do have any, any ideas of what you would like me to talk about, this is a new year and a lot of people are in their relationships with a new approach. They have different goals. Please don't hesitate to ask or suggest something because if the people out there who are listening want to know more about a particular topic, I have no problem making that the theme of my show anytime that I'm on the air. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for BBS Radio making my show a possibility. This is Gabrielle Cardona, yours, mine, and ours.